Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne. Today, we're speaking with a true powerhouse about setting boundaries, dealing with perceptions, and maintaining your privacy as a woman in a male-dominated field. Law enforcement, actually. Well, the FBI. Yes, I know I've had a few FBI agents on the show this season, but these women are part of my tribe, and I share them with you because I know what they say is compelling and profound. Faviant Morgan is exactly that. You can go on my website at GinaLosborn.com to read her full bio, but suffice it to say, she is a bigger-than-life personality, and I'm proud to call her my friend. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Vaviet Morgan. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Vaviet, I remember when we met probably close to 25 years ago, you were a student at FBI Academy at Quantico. I was a senior, more senior agent than you were at that time. This was back in the 90s. And you're going to let me get away with that? Seriously? You know, it, we're just starting <laughs> off. So I was just going to say your seniority, I think, was by about three or four or six months. It, it wasn't even, I don't think, a year. But it, it, it's factual. But uh, I was going to let it slide. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we see each other, or I see you, and there aren't a lot of tall women. What do we call ourselves? Tall women, uh, compelling women walking around the halls at Quantico. And I think that's what I saw in you because you were coming towards me and I was coming towards you and we met and we've pretty much been friends ever since. That's accurate. And I give you a lot of credit because you're the one that started the conversation. And I think what you said to me almost quote unquote was, oh my God, you're as big as I am. You're a giant. (laughs) I don't really think think, that's how it went, but go ahead. (laughs) I think I was so stunned by that, that uh, yes, I I think I just started laughing and we had a conversation in the halls of uh, the FBI Academy. And lo and behold, we both ended up at FBI Los Angeles. And so the friendship continued, but that was the beginning, in my humble opinion, of a wonderful friendship. I think so too. I, I completely agree. You went on working everything from white collar crime to being in charge of the media, counterterrorism, extraterritorial airports, ports. I mean, so many different things, criminal division. And so now you are the special agent in charge of the intelligence division at FBI Los Angeles. And you are the highest ranking African-American female agent in the FBI right now. That is true. It's a little daunting when you say it, and a part of me gets uncomfortable about it because I, I don't think there's anything so special about me to have that particular 
honor a role right now. I, I wish there were more. I, I should not be the only African-American female special agent in charge in the FBI. That That's not something uh, that should occur in the year 2020, but it is, it is currently factual. Go back 25 years. When we came in, only 14% of all of the agents were women. I don't know what the percentage was that they were white men, what was it like for you coming in? You know, not only were women only allowed to be agents for probably, you know, 20 years by the time we got there, but there weren't a lot of African-American agents at that time. That's very true. Gina, I don't know if I've ever shared with you, but it's, it's all a little bit uh, a fluke for me joining the FBI in the sense of unlike a lot of our colleagues, I never dreamed about being an FBI agent. That's not something that you necessarily think about or dream about growing up in the African-American community. You don't think, ooh, I want to be an FBI agent. And you don't meet very many FBI agents. I just happened to somewhat stumble into this career because I, I went to Berkeley for my undergraduate studies, and a lot of my friends live in Northern California, and I happened to be in Northern California celebrating a girlfriend's 25th birthday. A group of girls got together there in Jack London Square, and we were at a table at a happy hour, and at the table next to us was a group of guys. And so you can only imagine throughout the evening, the two tables started to merge a little bit. And we had a great night, but one gentleman in particular that I started talking to, we exchanged cards at the business cards at the end of the evening. And lo and behold, unbeknownst to me at the time, he was an FBI agent. All the group of guys that he was with, they were all federal agents. And now that I've been in the bureau, for the time frame that I have been, I understand they were just hanging out after work. They were FBI agents, DEA, Secret Service. And this one FBI agent that I met, uh, we became friends. And probably after knowing him about six or eight months, one day and talking to him, he said, you should join the Bureau. I was stunned by that and taken aback. I was so enamored with him in the sense he was just a great guy. He was extremely competent, very much uh, an intellectual. I just really was fond of him. And for him to say that to me, I started to consider it. And at that time, because this is about 1996 timeframe, everything wasn't online like it is today. And he sent me a bunch of FBI propaganda in the mail. <laughs> it was just a application pamphlet. Uh, I got a packet from him in the mail and I randomly looked at it every now and then. Truth be told is one day I was having a really bad day. At that time, I was a political consultant. I was working for the city of Los Angeles and I was advising city council, the 15 member city council on water and power issues here within the city of Los Angeles. And I just had a bad day at city hall and I get back to my office and there was this uh, stack of FBI propaganda mm -hmm. and there was an application and I just started filling it out. 
Fast forward about nine months later, there I found myself at the FBI Academy. And so that's how I joined the FBI. When I got to the Academy, it was just, everything was foreign, everything was new. And to be honest, every day was just kind of cool because I was an FBI agent and I just enjoyed the work. I never really thought about promoting. I never thought about taking a leadership position in the FBI. I just loved being an FBI agent. And it all just happened for me somewhat organically. It was uh, not very intentional whatsoever. It just pretty much as the years passed on and as I learned more about the organization, I just developed and took uh, opportunities that presented themselves to me. And I find myself 24 years later in the current position that I'm in. I have seen you in so many different positions as a leader in the FBI. When you present yourself, you do so as this very compelling authority figure. One of the things that impresses me the most about you is that when you interact with people, you're very engaging, you're very personable, but somehow you set boundaries very quickly to sort of set the tone in a subtle way as to how you expect these interactions to proceed. That's not an easy thing for a lot of people, but for you, it just seems effortless. Where did that come from? Well, I guess I I just have always done that. I've, I've always interacted a lot with people my father was a minister. I'm, I'm, I'm a PK. I'm what you call a preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. So I've always been around adults for the majority of my life. I've always engaged with adults. I think I've just watched a lot of people, and in particular, my father and how he dealt with all different types of people. I think I learned from that. I, like I said, I like people. And I like all different types of people. And I think I engage well with all different types of people. And I think a lot of it stems uh, from my upbringing, watching my father. Yeah, I, I think that's important. How you talk to people, how you deal with them, how you engage with them. I truly think, especially in our line of work with the FBI, where it's important how we do engage with people. And that's our bread and butter, how We conduct interviews, interrogation, communication skills. They matter in our world. And so I think that is partially why I've been able to be somewhat successful is uh, my ability to to connect with people and all different types of people and just meet them where they are. You, You have to meet people where they are oftentimes. And communication is just all about understanding each other and trying to get to a common goal. Right. But I've seen you when somebody says something that you don't appreciate or does something that you don't appreciate, you've got no problem stopping everything addressing that issue. (laughs) And then you're able to move on without that problem. People, a lot of people can't do that. And then when they don't do that, when they don't do an on the spot correction that I've seen you do so many times, then it festers with them. They take it personally. They feel like they've been wronged. And then that could take them out for the rest of the day or even for the rest of the week because they feel that they're allowing somebody to take advantage of them. 
Well, I think the key word there that you said, or the key phrase is take advantage of you. I, I just think again, a little bit with my upbringing and being an African-American female, somewhat, I'm a little bit oftentimes put in situations where some people do think they have the advantage over me. And I, I never like to uh, give people the impression that they do have the advantage of me, that this is, this is uh, try to make it an even playing field. But I just think you have to hold people accountable. And sometimes you only get one opportunity, but I've been in that situation. I think that's just growth and development for me because I have been in that situation where I've left an environment or a conversation where I wasn't real happy how things unfolded because I didn't speak up. I think it is important to speak up, but also the manner in which you speak up. I I never want to embarrass anyone unnecessarily so or really take advantage of them, but I, I do want to hold people accountable. And I really want people to be honest brokers when we have uh, dialogue, when we have exchanges. But yeah, I think it's important to let people know that you're very aware, that you're keenly aware of what they're trying to do and to hold them accountable. I, I think everyone deserves respect. Sometimes people, unfortunately, are disrespectful. I think it's incumbent upon us as women sometimes to remind people that we too deserve respect. You have to be candid with people and sometimes you have to be firm with people. And I just try and do it in the best manner uh, possible where it's not offensive, but hopefully it's impactful. So how has your journey as an African-American female, how has your journey been different than my journey in the FBI? Wow, that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. How has it been different? I think it's different primarily by the way people see me and by the way people treat me. Just because uh, we all have, um, unfortunately, we, we all have biases. We all look at people at first blush where you either see uh, a black female, you see a white female, you see a white male, a Latina female. We all have those lens that we look through people at. And so that shapes our perceptions of them and it dictates how we engage with them and how we treat them. So yes, you're a white female, I'm a black female. Our experiences are very different Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. I'll give you an example where it's not so good. I'm a black female. I I hire people uh, at this stage of the game in my career. Uh, I hire people. And unfortunately, when I hire people that look like me, it is questioned sometimes as far as am I hiring uh, a friend? Am I hiring uh, someone that I know? Whereas my white colleagues, when they hire a black female or a black male, they're applauded for their forward leaning, that they're you know able to pick and lead diverse teams. Whereas I'm looked at sometimes in question on, huh, why is she hiring, you know, a black female or a black male? So that's that's something that is different and something that I had to 
digest and something that I've had to have conversations with people about because some people like me, they're afraid to hire other African-Americans because it will be questioned oftentimes. And that's unfortunate. And it's a sad commentary on our current state of the union. When you're questioned on something like that, how do you deal with those perceptions? My dad, uh, who's just a big influence in my life, when I went away to college, he, he gave me a book that one of his colleagues wrote. And the name of that book was, What You Think About Me Is None of My Business. Mm-hmm. I tell you, it meant a lot to me as a kid, as I was going off to college, but it's meant more to me navigating the FBI, to be very candid, <laughs> as an adult trying to navigate through the FBI those words in that book and it's 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 been very valuable to me what you think about me is none of my business i think to a certain degree that's my attitude where you just can't get too bogged down in what uh, other people's perceptions of you i i try to live I try to live a good life, a positive life, and I try to conduct myself uh, properly. And I try to uh, be a good leader. I try to lead by example. You're always going to have questions attached. You're always going to have a few naysayers. And you're always going to have a small cadre of people that want you to fail for whatever reason, which is so contrary to who and what I am that you want someone else to to fail in in order to, I guess, empower yourself. But that that's just against every fiber of my being. But there are people out there. And so you just have to stay true, true to yourself. And you can't get too bogged down in what other people are thinking about you or what other people are saying about you. And I'm thrilled that um, I kind of got introduced uh, into that thought process very early on because I'm I'm a true believer. I'm a true believer all these years later that uh, what what people think about me is is really none of my business. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're going to be ravaged by trying to deal with perceptions or trying to control or manage those perceptions because you're not going to win that game, you are not going to win. It's so true. If you accept that early on, and then like I said, you just have to have a real good sense of who you are and what you believe in, no matter what comes, you just, you really have to have a very good sense of self. And if you don't, I I truly feel it's going to be a difficult life. It's going to be a difficult career in uh, most arenas. But um, I I think that's a little bit that has helped me is I'm I'm very clear on who I am, what I believe in, and what's important to me. And the other stuff, it just kind of all washes away. Not to say that sometimes you don't hear things and it hurts a little bit. But again, if you know what your truth is and um, if you know who you are, it, it all washes away and you just, you just carry on and continue to do good work. Being a woman in a male-dominated field, let's talk about your private life. Tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think it's private for a reason. 
<laughs> well, I remember one time someone coming into my office and we were talking about a variety of different things and he commended me and he mentioned you as well because you and I were often lumped into the same uh, category more often than not in a good way. He said that, you know, the two of us, nobody really knows what's going on outside of work. I know why it's important to me. Why is it so important to you to have such a private life uh, when it comes to um, having your, your private life and then your, uh, your professional life? I think it is important. It's important, I think, to set boundaries and to be professional at work and to keep your private life private. But it's one of those things where I think if people know too much about your private life, they sometimes get a little too comfortable with you and they take privileges that they, that they shouldn't take. I'll be very honest. Someone once told me many years ago, I don't know necessarily if it's true or false, but it, it did resonate with me to a certain extent. But uh, someone once told me that women lose a level of their power when people know too much about their private life, where they have too much information about their private life. Like I said, I'm not certain if that's true or false, but for some reason that resonated with me. Probably I, by nature, I think I'm a private person anyway, but it struck a chord with me. And so I just think it's, it's important that you uh, keep your private life a little bit private. And this might be going too far, but I'll be very candid. Another thing that person said, because I, I'm a single female, and he made mention, he said, more importantly, People, he said, women lose a lot of their power when men know who they are sleeping with. That's literally what he said to me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And again, that resonated with me. That's, I think, to my earlier point where people know too much about you, they can take privileges. I think sometimes those impressions can blend into the uh, professional arena where I think women are judged sometimes on who their partner is. And depending if that partner, if it's a spouse or if that partner is someone you're dating, I I think people, uh, they make judgment calls on that. I I don't think that's appropriate or necessary in, in the professional realm. And I've always made a conscious decision as a single female not to date anyone uh, in the FBI, just to keep separation, to keep those worlds uh, a little bit of a signful quote, uh, don't want your worlds colliding. Mm-hmm. Want to want to keep them separate and apart, and that's and that's worked well for me. But as you and I know, there's some great relationships in the FBI. We have a lot of uh, husband and wife agent teams. We have a lot of husband and wife FBI employees. So I think it's just finding the right fix for you. There's no secret sauce to it. I think however you're comfortable, and I think that spans not just your personal life, but also professionally, we all make decisions. And whatever is comfortable for you, whatever works for you, whatever empowers you, go forth. And I'm one of those people where I just feel individually, you have to own it. And whatever works for you, own it, do it well, and uh, carry on. But 
I don't think there's one way to do it. There's not a right or wrong way. It's just what's good for you and what's comfortable for you as you navigate through your professional life. Right. I agree with that. And you've been very fortunate because I know you've got some very, very good female friends who have been your peers for many, many, I mean, decades even. How important is that to you? And how has that influenced you throughout your career? Well, you're one of those people. I know. That's why I'm looking for a compliment. (laughs) You're one of those people. You know what? There's nothing more special. I have to admit it's women, but I have to admit too, it's men too. When you find people that you truly connect with and where you can be your authentic self And where there's no jealousy, there's no competition. I mean, that's one great thing, Gina, I can say about the two of us. We've known each other from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you had a wonderful career in the FBI. I was devastated when you retired. But there was never any competition amongst us. And some women, sometimes there is competition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our arena with men. But when you can really find true friendships where you bond a little bit more on things outside of the FBI, outside of the profession too, that matters. But it's that authentic relationship and friendship. And you find yourself that, yeah, in some tough times or some difficult times, you reach out for those people. And you sometimes you just want a sounding board. You just want to share things uh, and knowing that it's done in confidence. And there's, yeah, there's probably a handful of people. Here I am 24 years later in my bureau experience, but there's only a handful of people that I would pick up the phone and call and really have a very candid, very authentic, where you name names, you name (laughs) situations, where you just get a little down and dirty in it, but you trust them because you know it goes nowhere. And that's hard to come by. The higher you rise in the ranks, I think the more special you realize that is. And it's not so much, I tell everyone, because I, I truly think I'm the same person I was as I walked into the FBI 24 years ago. But the only thing that really changes is how people view you. Mm-hmm. People, you know, they view me as a position, not as a person anymore. It's like, oh, I don't even have a name half the time in my you know, career. It's like, oh, she's the SAC. And it's like, okay, it's, it's a position and that's fine. It's respectful, that's okay. But people perceive you differently. It's not that you have changed, but people's perception of you has changed over the years, I have found. But the relationships that I hang on to, a lot of them did start years and years ago and just have remained. And it's, it's extremely special, but I put you in that category of someone that I can have a very honest, candid conversation with. And I know, one, it won't go anywhere. Two, I know you're going to give me honest feedback. And sometimes you and I don't agree on everything. Most times we see the world similarly, but you and I have had some tough conversations, but I think it's only brought us closer Mm -hmm. and uh, deepened our friendship. Mm -hmm. Why do you think women are so competitive with each other? Why do you think that they think that there can only be one queen bee? I, I, I think everyone probably wants to feel special. And I think... 
in male-dominated, non-traditional environments, a lot of times women are so used to being the only one in the room that when there's a second or a third, they get uncomfortable. They're used to, as you say, being that queen bee and not sharing the spotlight. That's so against everything I believe in that I don't truly understand it. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a good answer for it, except I think it's a little bit uh, speaks more of that individual themselves. I think there's a level of insecurity there. But uh, one of one of my things is I always try and leave a situation better than I found it. However, I define that, whether that's trying to bring in more women, where it's trying to uh, bring in more people of color into the FBI, because I just think we're all better off. And I borrowed this uh, term from one of our former directors, is that diversity, it makes us more effective. It's not just the right thing to do. It It just makes us a more effective organization because People connect oftentimes with people that uh, they have commonalities with, people that look like them, whether that's gender, race, religion, ethnicity, you name it. But for people like us in our business in the FBI, where our bread and butter is people talking to us and people sharing things with us, it's, it's just in our best interest to have a little bit of everything in the organization because it makes us better. It makes us more effective. We can do our jobs better as a result. But I just, Gina, going back to your specific question, I, I just have never understood why that queen bee mentality has to exist amongst women. I I don't understand it. And uh, it's just something that goes against every fiber of my being where as long as you have the skill set, the competency level, the passion to do the job, I I love it. I'm going to help you in this organization. Because again, it's just better for the organization if we have the right people in the right seats on the bus. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that just matters. And so if you really love your organization and you want it to be successful, you want to ensure that the right people are in the right positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only way the organization is going to be successful. So I just never think we have the luxury to have any of those biases, if you will. Uh, that's that's just not just not in our best interest and it's not good or healthy for the larger organization. Yeah. And when you're in that competitive mode, you just lose so much. The the energy that goes into competing with somebody else for no reason, you could be focusing on your skills or your trade or, or making yourself better in the environment, you know, or supporting somebody else. And I think you're going to be a lot better off as a human and, and in your profession, if you focus on that versus spending all your time and spinning your wheels on, on the competition aspect of it. A and amen to that. <laughs> well, why we'll talk a little bit about our G-Girl Academy that we worked on together and how important it is when you rise to the level of being the highest ranking African-American agent in the FBI that you show it off. So we had this event where we were having a cyber camp for these 
10 to 12 year old girls. And I asked you to come down. And when you walked in the room, there was an African-American little girl. She was probably in the fourth or fifth grade. And when she saw Vaviette, it was as if the Empress has had entered the room and the look on her face when she saw someone who looked like her. Remember how her entire persona changed when she saw you come in the room. Do you remember that? I, I do. And I so appreciate you bringing that up because that meant everything to me. And for you to recognize that is huge. But at our most basic sense, that is everything that we're talking about brought to life and form is that we, we have a little bit of a responsibility, one, to give back. And it's very important. And another reason why I try and participate in opportunities like you're showcasing today, putting me on your podcast, is that I try and be as uh, visual as I can, because if I can encourage or, you know, do anything to help one little girl that looks like me to achieve her dreams, isn't that what it's all about? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was that was a pretty special moment because I think you and I, we, we do what we do and we do it to the best of our ability. And sometimes we forget what uh, impact it does have on the next generation mm -hmm. or other women. It's so meaningful. But that, yeah, that was, you know what, that was pretty cool. I have to admit, it meant, it meant a lot. And that was that was a special moment. Bavia, you mean the world to me, and I so appreciate you coming on the show. Gene Osborne, you're a friend, and I wish you every bit of success, and thank you so much for the invitation. It was a true honor and a privilege to spend a little time with a dear friend. I truly value you as a listener and would love to show my appreciation. Visit me at GinaLOsborne.com and I will send you a free ebook called Five Strategies to Navigate a Male-Dominated Workplace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts. 